say. Next slide. We're doing ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. So this is a very doctrinal message. Now I just lost some of you right there, didn't I? Come back. Come back. It's good doctrine. We need to reestablish the doctrine of the church. Christ is the head. He tells us how to do this thing, how it's supposed to work, how it best works. So we're looking at ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. And I found out in the last hour, I have too many notes and too little time. So I got to stop talking and jump in, stop talking introduction and jump into the thing. So here we go. Point number one for today. Are you ready for it? This is, no, you weren't ready. Anyway, here it comes. Elders their ordination, elders, their ordination. There's one verse in the Bible from which we actually get this term, this idea of ordination. And I want to mess with you a little bit about what it really is and what it really means. Let's look at the verse. It's Titus 1.5. We read it earlier. We're going to read it again now. Titus 1.5. Paul writes, and this is the word of God. This is why I left you in Crete. Crete was a little island out in the Mediterranean. Left Titus out there. What for? So that... You might put what remained in order. We didn't get everything done we should have done. Some things are not yet put in order. I left you there to finish the job, and here's what I wanted you to do. And appoint elders in every town. So in every town there's a church. Every church needed elders, plural. And Titus is to appoint them, probably with the involvement of the people, though we don't see that in the verse here. He probably didn't just unilaterally say, I appoint that. He probably involved, what do you think? What do you think of him? And so on. There might have been a vote. There might not have been a vote. We don't know. Doesn't matter. Titus was to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now focus on, put your finger on that word appoint. And that's the word from which we get our word ordain. And let me tell you, the word ordain sounds very high churchy, very lofty, very like we ought to be wearing robes and a miter and a staff or something up here because we're going to be ordaining. But And I just want you to know, Appointing does matter a lot because we're appointing a man to be a shepherd in the church of Jesus Christ. So this is a serious and sobering appointment, but the word just means appoint. Like if six of you are going to pile into your minivan and you look at each other, who's going to drive? You say, I appoint you. Now you got appointed. That's the word. So it doesn't have in and of itself any lofty, any special significance. So what we're actually doing here is today we're just, we're appointing a man, to be one of our pastors, elders, overseers. I'm fine with the word ordain, if I can give it that explanation every time. We're ordaining a man to be one of our pastors, elders, or overseers. And I want to also point out to you real quick here, because a lot of people don't get this. Who and where and when and why and how did they get appointed? Titus is to appoint elders, to ordain elders in every city or church. In every church in every city, he's to ordain elders. Here's the point. Elders get ordained to be elders in a local church, and so ordained they are elders only in that local church. In other words, the universal church has nothing to ordain with. You don't get ordained in the universal church. You don't go to some school. You don't go to some classes. And when you're done the classes, they say, congratulations, here's your card, just like your driver's license. Here's your card. You are now ordained. And then you travel the world showing your card and telling people, I'm ordained, I'm ordained. You show up, I'm ordained. No, you're not ordained anywhere except in the church that appointed you to be one of its elders. And if they unappoint you, you're no longer ordained. And if you leave that church and move to Florida like everybody's doing, I don't know why, but then you're no longer ordained in that church in Joppa, Maryland. Ordination is appointing a man to be one of the pastor's elder overseers in a given particular local church. It resides within that church. The office is held only while in that church. 
So I want you to get that about ordination because there's a lot of weird stuff. I've had somebody recently tell me, I'm ordained, I'm ordained, and then they weren't, all right? It was called like danger, danger. All right, never mind. Second point, elders, their gender. And so in these days, I've got to mention this, right? Like I hope most of you, all of you who are part of our church, I hope you got it. You already know that the word of God everywhere that it talks about this issue says that males, masculine, masculine and gender are the people who are supposed to hold the office. And there are various passages that are key passages in this regard. One of them is 1 Corinthians 14, 34. For the sake of time, we're not going there today. I'll just take you to the other key passage, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. Paul writes to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach in the assembly. She's not to be the teacher, preacher person in the assembly. That's very clear here in God's word or to exercise authority. That's being an elder, an overseer, a pastor. So two things are put off limits for the women of God. Everything else they can do, everything I can think of right now, they can do. But two things are put off limits. They're not to be the teacher preacher in the assembled gatherings of God's people in a local church, nor are they to be the pastors, elders, or overseers exercising authority. Rather, she is to remain quiet in regard to those things. Not quiet in every way. Can she say amen in church, please? Yeah, how about all the women right now say amen? One, two, three. Amen. All right, so see, you can do that. You can say to your husband, I think he's wrong on this point. All right, you can do that. All right, so you can talk in various ways, but not in a way that is becoming the teacher in the assembly and not in a way that is exercising the authority over the church. Why? Paul roots his reasons, not in some little local thing going on in Ephesus, like many are trying to tell us today. That was only for Ephesus. It doesn't apply to us. It was only in their day. No, Paul roots it firmly in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3 in creation and the fall. Let's look. For, here's why, Adam was formed first, then Eve. That means something. We can't take the time to get into it. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That means something. It's in there for a reason. We can't take the time to go into it. But the point here is, don't listen to Beth Moore on this. Don't listen to Christian Dumay on this. Don't listen to Beth Allison Barr on this. Don't listen to evangelical feminism on this. God's word makes it very clear. And if you have a problem, it's a problem with God. It's a problem with God's word. God says, I, I want the men to be the pastors, the elders, the preachers, the overseers. Do we love women? What, do you, what about it, guys? Do we love women? Say amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Do we need women? Yeah, bless God. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a woman called mom, right? And we need women in so many ways, but there are differences between the genders and different roles that are assigned to them by God, and we don't buck the roles, and we don't uh, oppose the differences. We glory in them. We delight in them. They're beautiful. We're so glad for God's wisdom in ordaining male and female and the varying, slightly varying roles, and we're thankful for them. Third point, got to keep rolling today. Elders, their number. How many should a local church have ideally? In the providence of God, it might not arrive at this yet. We are, but we're blessed. How many elders should there be? And the answer is more than one. 
Everywhere we see a plurality of elders. Let me give you just one example. There could be others. I'm choosing Acts 14, 23. First missionary journey, preach the gospel, planted churches. Second missionary journey, Paul and friends, go back to all the cities to strengthen them and establish them. And here's what we read they also did with them, Acts 14, 23. And when they had appointed elders, now just tell me, this is a quiz, is that singular or plural? What does that S on the end there mean, y'all? All right, that's plural. They appointed elders for them in every church. Every church is singular. There's a church, they get elders, plural. There's a church, they get elders, plural. That's what they did. Now, it might be that in the providence of God, you come across one church, and they don't have anybody who qualifies biblically for the office. So that'll be an abnormal situation in a church. Better not to have an elder than to appoint a disqualified one. Or it might be they have but one elder or but two elders. Uh, just one would be an unusual circumstance. But the apostolic model here is they appointed elders plural for them in every church. I want you to know we are exceedingly blessed today. We are appointing elder number seven. It's the perfect number, right? We shouldn't appoint an eighth one and mess it up. Actually, there are, I want to tell you, there are a number of other men in this church who are certainly, bless God, certainly qualified by the scriptural passages on this who could also be elders, pastors, overseers in this here church. Why then did we pick Perry and not them? Well, really, it, it's difficult. No, sorry, Perry. It was difficult, but uh, we had to look at each man and say, we don't need 12 elders. We don't need 14 elders. What would we do in an elders meeting? We have one t tonight at 7. How long would the meeting go if we had 14 guys? So, so we can't have all of them be elders here. So based on the strengths and weaknesses of the guys we current have, which one of them would most fill our gaps? Like Rock, Rocky and Adrian, I got gaps, he got gaps, together we fill gaps, that thing, okay? Which one would best fill the gaps our current eldership has? And that's why we landed on the man we have landed on. But there are lots of other men who are very very much gifted by the Lord and could become our elders. Let's go to point number four. We've established their number plurality of elders wherever possible. Number four, elders, their titles. Now listen to this part, please. I'm going to go kind of fast over it. won't spend a lot of time, but I want you to see that in the Bible, every elder is an overseer and every overseer or bishop, that's the word bishop, that got all high churchy, but it just means like the leader as seen by his governmental role. Elder is the leader as seen by his wisdom role. He's an elder. He's got wisdom if he's younger. He's got wisdom beyond his age. He's got wisdom beyond the average of the church. He's an elder in wisdom. Overseer has to do with his governmental role. He's a presbyter. He's got oversight like government officials did in the first century. This word was used of them. Pastor speaks of his caring, shepherding, and feeding role, as we're going to see in a few minutes. But every elder is an overseer, and every overseer is a pastor, and every pastor is an elder. It's one and the same office, but different men with different gifts and different strengths and weaknesses. So I want you to understand that I am just one of your elders, and the other ones hold the same office I do. I'm one of your pastors, they hold the same office. I'm one of your overseers, they hold the same office. And because there's six of them and one of me at any given time, uh, they're my boss. They're collectively my boss. I'm accountable to them. I am a man who is very much under their authority. It's not like I'm the boss and I tell them what to do. Believe me, that is not what happens at our elders' meetings. Don't you even insult these men to make them into like little meek 
weak yes men who just do whatever Steve says. More likely, better, my job is to set up the next issue we have to talk about at our meeting, lay it out, put it on the stage so we can all see what it is, and then I have to step back and say, all right, what do you think, guys? And they all talk. And very often, maybe almost always, where we land on that issue isn't where I would have taken us. But there was greater wisdom in the room of elders collaborating together. So that's how our eldership really works. And that's how it's supposed to work. And and every elder is a pastor. Every pastor is an overseer. So you can call Pastor Pastor Perry. You can call him Elder Perry. That sounds a little Amish. (laughs) Or you you can call him Bishop Perry. I like that one. There's a family in the church that calls me the bishop. And whenever one of the, it's an extended family, and when they address me, they say, hello, Bishop, how are you today, Bishop? I just hope they don't do that in Chipotle someday when I run into them. But anyway, so I'm an elder, I'm a pastor, I'm an overseer, Perry is the same, Stan is the same, all of our guys are the same, same office. Everybody got that? All right, it's biblical ecclesiology. Let's go to a fifth point, elders, their general responsibilities. I want to spend a little time here. So we have elders, pastors, overseers. We have them plural. We have them male. We have them in a local church only, not in the universal church. Now we're asking the question, well, what are they there for? What are they supposed to do? What can we expect of them? And what can they expect of you to some extent? What are their general responsibilities? I've got three broad categories of general responsibilities that we find in the scriptures. The head of the church, Jesus Christ, has given us these three broad general categories to know what their general responsibilities are. Number one, they care, watch, protect. I'm making that a cluster. They're all about the same thing. They care for you. They watch for you. They protect you, singular you, and plural you, the whole church. So that's what they do. They care, they watch, they protect. Brother, this is what we're appointing you to today. The lighting, I can't tell. Are you looking at me? Thank you. Look at me right now, brother. All right. This is, we're about to take our vows. Not really. All right. So this is what we're appointing you to do. This is part one of three of your job to care and watch and protect. Only reason we're appointing this man is because we know he already has the heart to do this. He's already doing this. He's already proven in this. You all have affirmed unanimously, yeah, you think he's good at doing this, but this is his job. This is all of our jobs. We care, we watch, we protect. Let me give you a couple passages on that. I have more here, but I got to pare it down. I found out in the last service. Jeremiah 23, 4 in the Old Testament, God's foretelling better days. The Old Testament shepherds did not care for the flock, they cared for themselves. He says, there are better days coming, the days of the new covenant, we are in them. And he says, I'm gonna give the church shepherds that will care for the flock. Jeremiah 23, four. Should not, he asks, should not the shepherds care for the flock? That's what they do. What can you expect of us? You can expect that we would care for you. Now, please don't you all call Pastor Stan this afternoon at two. Not all of you, all right? One or two, yes. But what we care for you. This comes out with the Lord Jesus and Peter in John chapter 21. You remember that? Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Tend my flock. The word tend is a different word than feed. It's care. I got a flock. I want you to care for them. I want you to tend to them. Whatever they need, whatever's going on, whatever the problem, whatever, tend to my sheep. Third time, do you love me? Feed my sheep. So we're not in the feed part right now. We're in the tend part. Pastors tend to the flock. The, the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourself. Got to start there, brother. 
Always paying attention to yourself. How's my walk with Christ? How's my soul? How's my confession of sin? How's my time in the word? How's my marriage? How are, all that. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers and which Christ purchased with his own blood. So this is what pastors do. They care. They watch. They protect. Somebody's straying, they go after them. Somebody in trouble, they go to care for them and help them. Uh, what does this involve? What do they care for? Anything that the church as an organization needs, anything that you as an individual sheep needs, they're to care for the flock. Anybody have a good mechanic? Raise your hand. Let me see. Who has a good mechanic? Yeah, only a few hands. You got to talk to me. We got a good mechanic. Talk to Joe. She's got a good mechanic. So it's a great blessing to have a good mechanic that you can trust and they always do good work, and you never go home with a sense of, I just got robbed, right? It's a great thing to have a good mechanic. And when, when I take my truck over there, when Debbie, we take Debbie's car over there, they give us total car care. Whatever the truck needs, they will do it. Whatever the car needs, they will do it. If they don't know how, they'll figure out how. Total care for my car and Debbie's truck over there where we go. That's what you're supposed to get from your pastors in your church. Whatever you need, whatever's hurting, whatever's struggling, whatever's failing, whatever temptations are beating down on you, uh, whatever your heart is heavy with, you're supposed to get care from your pastors who are tending to you and shepherding you. That's what Cornerstone pastors are here for. How can you hook up with their care? Well, our pastors are in various groups. Find them there, they'll care for you. Before and after church, go talk to one. They'll care for you. Uh, emails, texts, phone calls all the time, caring for sheep, meetings one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, Pastor Stan, can we meet with you at Panera, that's our basic place. Can we meet with you at Panera? We'll buy you a coffee. And can you help us with the problem we're dealing with? After the first service this morning, I had one man approach me. Yeah, we need to meet this week. So good, we're going to meet this week. We do this all the time. Once a quarter, we send out a pastoral letter to all our regular attenders and our members. Anybody who's in our system, we send you an email, one of our pastors, and then we flip-flop the next quarter, who gets which sheep, and we send you a letter that says, are you well, or do you need any pastoral care? Are there any challenges you're facing? How can we pray for you? And however we word it in that time, we send out a pastoral care letter. We want to care for you, the sheep. That's the second general category. So number one, what do elders do? I'm sorry, that's the first. They care, they watch, they protect the sheep. Here's the second category. Also, they feed the sheep. They feed them. You're, a, you're one of Jesus's blood-bought sheep? Bless you. We're supposed to feed you. You need to be fed. You need green pastures and still waters. You need the milk of the word if you're a baby Christian. You need the meat of the word if you're an adult Christian. And we ought to be serving both of those all the time so there's something for everybody at every level but they feed the sheep. This is back in John 21, where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, tend my flock. Do you love me? Yes, feed my, twice, feed my sheep. Here's an evidence of pastors loving Christ. The pastor who rightly loves Christ as Savior will want to and will feed the people of God. And watch this, not just chocolate eclairs and cream puffs, but the word of God. You want to be fed on the word, right? Pastors, give us the word. 
We want you to minister the word to our souls. And that's what pastors do. They feed. What's the scope of their feeding? Acts chapter 20 again with the Ephesian elders. Paul says, here's what I did and here's what I want you to do by extension. You remember I declared the whole counsel of God to you. Twice he says, I did not shrink back. I did not shrink back from preaching anything profitable to your souls. That's how they feed you. Everything God says on every issue about which he says it. Not neglecting certain issues because they won't be good for church growth. Not neglecting certain issues because they might make somebody unhappy and they might leave the church. Not neglecting certain issues because they're unpopular culturally right now and there's great pressure on the church to conform to the culture in the world. No. You want pastors who are going to feed you the straight-up meat of the word. 2 Corinthians 4.2, I love it. By open statement of the truth. Amen? That's what we want. We're not hiding anything. We're not sugarcoating anything. We're not, it's not like, I'm going to preach down to verse 14 in Romans chapter 1, but then I'm going to skip a few verses. We'll go home that day, and I hope when they come back and I'm in verse 21, I hope they don't remember where we were. You know, not, not like that. No, you're going to preach it all. 1 Timothy 4.2, preach the word in season and out. So what do elders do? They feed the flock. Now, we do it in various contexts and in various ways. Some of our elders would be the ones who would tend more to feed you here in this room, and other elders are feeding you in community groups and in Bible studies that we have, and other elders in new members' classes, and other elders one-to-one, and other elders in various other kinds of small groups that get together, and it might even be by text or by phone call. But all elders, whatever the level, whatever the context, they're involved in feeding the sheep. Dear brother, being ordained today, feed these sheep. Feed them the truth. Feed them the good word of God. Amen. Here's uh, another. Here's a third general area of responsibility for the pastors, and they lead. They lead. The church is both an organism. It has life, and it's also an organization. It has structure. It has parts. It has moving parts. It has various ministries. It has relationships between one thing and another. It has lots of decisions to be made about various things. And the elders are given charge by Christ, the head of the church, to lead and all that, to have the oversight, to have the government of the church. We see this in Romans 12.8. There are those who are leading. They're supposed to lead with diligence. 1 Corinthians 12.28. There are those with the gift of administrating, standing before you. They're supposed to administrate and lead well. That's again in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5. They're supposed to lead. So Jesus Christ gives the highest level of authority in a local church to that body of men appointed by the Holy Spirit and called pastors, elders, or overseers. I just want to emphasize to you that every part of the life of Cornerstone comes under their leadership, their care, and their feeding. Every ministry of Cornerstone Church is under their oversight. Our groups are under our elders. Our kids' ministry, under. Our women's ministry, under. Downstairs doctrine, under. The mom's corner, under. Worship team, under. You name it, under. They stand before us all and lead us, and this is the mind of Christ. So we bow before Christ, and we love to have it so. The elders are to lead. And I just want to remind you, I'm but one of them. They collectively are my boss. I, I don't tell them what to do. More likely, they tell me what to do. All right? So I just want you to know that. 
Let's go on. Number six, elders. How do the sheep relate to them? So here we are doing this together in God's providence. It's amazing. You're in this church, and I'm in this church, and we're in this church. And here we, this is for real. This is not a, a practice. We're doing life. We're doing church together. We want to do it to the glory of God and the saving of souls and the building up of believers. And here we are. How are we supposed to relate then? Pastors and people, sheep and shepherd. Well, let me give you just a couple quick verses on that. First, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. So the Thessalonian church was a brand new church. It might have been just three months old, and Paul got chased out of town and had to go down to the next town, next town, next town. And, and now he's writing back to them and saying, let me set a few things up for you guys. They didn't have any elders, pastors, overseers yet, apparently. Uh, so they're being coached on how to begin to recognize those men upon whom Christ has placed his hand, those men whom Christ is raising up for that office. Here's what they're supposed to do. First Thess 5.12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize, look around and notice, observe, identify, recognize those who are, and there are three things they're doing. There are people, Christ is raising them up, they are laboring among you, they're given their time for your life and your soul, and they are over you in the Lord. That's their government. They're beginning to govern the thing, and they admonish you. They bring the word of God to you sometimes with a little bit of strength, admonish. So we want you to recognize them, begin to notice those whom Christ the head is raising up, and now just forget I'm one of the pastors saying this. I'm just reading you God's word, and you are to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That's what Christ wants of you. So start recognizing those men. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because of their work. And be at peace among yourselves. That's about you and the pastors. We're still in the context of you and pastors. The Bible tells us to be very diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of, say it with me, peace. Peace is healthy for a church, right? Peace between people and pastors is healthy. It's good for our souls. And so you want to relate to them in a way that brings about peace. Lord, i got to go talk to one of my pastors. I'm unhappy about something. Oh, please help me to do this in a way that makes peace. Okay? Bless you for that. Here's a second passage about how the sheep relate to elders. This is a key passage. It's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders. They're over you in the Lord. They have the final say over all things church. Christ has made it so. It's not because they're lords. They must not be lordly men or they're not qualified for the office. It's not because it's all about me and my. No, they shouldn't be in the office. But biblically qualified leaders are there to lead, and the people are told to obey. You know, this happens all the time. What that one wants, if we say yes to, that one will hate. <laughs> like, welcome to my life. Yeah, what, you sound surprised. So, you know, that one says, I want the walls painted green. If we agree with that one to paint the walls green, this one's mad. All right, this is all the time. So you have to realize they have to make decisions, and they can't please everybody. Amen, right? What is that saying? You can please some of the people some of the time. Can't please all the people all the time, though we'd like to, but we don't want to be people pleasers either when it comes to things that are in the Word of God. Obey your leaders and be submissive to them. Submit to them. Rank yourself under them. They have a higher office, a higher position than you in the church. For 
They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. They'll give an account to Christ. They're going to answer for who they are and what they're doing at the last day. So leave that to Christ. Don't you make them give an account unless they really do need to be thrown out. They're false shepherds. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And then here's the part I really like. I like this. Y'all listen to this part, okay? You ready for this part? Is everybody listening? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You want to hear groaning? Oh, that's groaning. Can, can sheep ever make shepherds groan? Let them do this with joy. Lord, I'm meeting with my pastor. It might get a little dicey, but help me to send him home with joy. Lord, I'm meeting with one of my pastors. I'm going to make an ask. I'm going to make the big ask and ask, can we have green walls? And they might say no. Lord, if they say no, help me to send them home with joy. Good prayer, people. Good prayer. I like that. Why not the groaning? For that would be of no advantage to you. Not spare the poor guy. No, it's to you. It is not advantageous to you if you're making your pastors go, oh, that's not going to be good for your relationship with it. Not going to be good for your soul. Not going to be good for your church. So here's what the head of the church tells the sheep to do. Obey their leadership and their decisions. Submit to their leadership and their decisions. And let the relationship be a joyful one. Work on making it one of joy. Because that's profitable to the people of God in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I don't know how I did this, Gabrielle. I, I ran really late and cut, cut, cut stuff. This time I'm done early. Did you guys change the clock? I got 11 minutes yet left. So I'm going to circle back to something. Ha! <laughs> Disappointed you all, didn't I? Let me tell you a true story about pastoral care. A man who used to be a pastor in this church years ago, before I was ever in this church. I was in Riverside, California, and I was a pastor, though I'm from Maryland. But the man who was the founding pastor of this church went AWOL, went into the far country, left the church, left his wife, kind of left everything. And the, the elders in the church, some of them knew me, though I was a pastor in California, and they, they knew that I knew him, their AWOL pastor. And they contacted me and said, we want to go after him. We, want, we, want to find, we found him. We know where he is. I don't know how they did that. We got his apartment number. And we would like to fly one of our elders to Denver. And could you fly to Denver and meet him? And the two of you hop on a little plane and go down to Pueblo. How many have ever been to Pueblo? Man, that's a rough town. Everybody looks like a cowboy, and it's been hard. But anyway, off top. So, so we flew down to Pueblo. Back in those days, we were both like, too much starch at our collars, Reformed Baptist pastors. We're both in suits and ties, and we're in a rented Chevy, so we looked like G-men. <laughs> so we pull into this apartment complex, and we knock on his door, and there's nobody there. So we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and it's getting dark out, and we're waiting. We're sitting in the car waiting, and people are starting to get freaked out in the apartments. They're, like, they're pulling back their curtain and looking, are those G-men still out there? What are they doing? At 2 a.m., he came rolling in in his lifted pickup, pretty cool truck. And we hopped out of our car and accosted him, and he just went, said, I don't want to talk about it. 
And we told him, well, we came a long way to talk. Please, can we talk about it? And we talked about it. And we didn't get him back to Christ that night, but I'm happy to tell you, I don't remember, I guess. A year later, he came all the way back to Jesus Christ. And he repented of everything he'd done. And he came all the way back. He said, could I come back to the church? We were still Trinity in those days. Can I come back to Trinity? Would you let me come back? Because that's where I messed up. And I want to come back there and make it right. Would you let me make it right? We had excommunicated him. We had done church discipline like a church is supposed to do. And he said, could, could I come back and behave myself? And could we have that removed from off of me? And could I go on? He continues to this day walking with Jesus Christ. He was here not long ago for another ordination of one of our elders because he's that elder's father. I'm giving away too much insider information here. But this is, why did these elders reach out to me in Riverside, fly me to, to, to Denver, fly me to Pueblo? What were we doing? We were going after one lost sheep. That's what you can expect of your pastors, along with many, many, many other things. May you never be that lost sheep. May we have the joy of mainly just encouraging you, helping you, counseling you, directing you, teaching you. That's what it usually is. That's most of it. But hey, it's full care auto service. I mean sheep service. So in closing, we've seen that Jesus Christ is head. The church is his. He tells us how it's supposed to be done. We bow. Point number two in closing, we want biblical elders, amen? We want to take 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 seriously with the biblical, I got that wrong, Titus chapter 1, yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 3, seriously, the biblical qualifications. That church is blessed that has pastors, plural, who are biblically qualified, duly installed men. And I want to tell you, we are very blessed. All seven of these men are amazing men. I love them. I love doing life with them. I love being pastors together with them. I love our twice a month elders meetings. There's one tonight. I can't wait. I literally can't wait. I love going to those meetings with those men. And we are so blessed to have seven men in the church of our side, to have seven men of their caliber. There are churches that would metaphorically give their right arm to have one or two of our guys. We're exceedingly blessed. Thank the head of the church. Thank the Lord Jesus that he is now giving us another pastor to tend to our souls. And in closing, I am calling you to, oh, that's right, you're not coming up now. I'm calling you to love and encourage and support and be submissive toward the pastors. Make their jobs joy. And the Lord will bless in all. Will you bow with me, please? Father, thank you for this time in your word, seeking to understand how you want us to do church, what it should look like. And we pray, our Father, we pray that the, the men that you have given us to be our pastors, that you would keep them close to yourself, close to the Lord Jesus. Would you work in them in the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would look to themselves and look to the teaching and look to the flock and take care of all and do it in a way that would glorify you, O oh Father. We pray that due to their lives and their ministries and the energy they spend, that many sinners would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That many of our boys will become believers under the ministry 
of these men, our boys and our girls. Oh, Lord, thank you that we are blessed to ordain another man now. We do it with thankful hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, if you would like to talk with a pastor about this message or anything else having to do with life and godliness in Christ, we'd love to talk with you. Here's an easy way to make it happen. Just text the word pastor to the number on the screen. You'll see the number again later during announcements. Just text the word pastor, same number then as now, and we'd be happy to reach out to you and get together this week. Can I have the present elders in Perry join me up here on the stage today? And as they're coming, I want to remind you all that what we are doing today is not some high churchly thing that calls for special robes and garbs and all that, but what we are doing here today is a very wonderful and a very amazing and a very special thing. We are actually publicly ordaining this man right here to be one of our, one of our pastors. He's a gift to the church. The Lord Jesus is giving him to us that he would labor among us and tend to our souls. And